Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. And this is episode 61 in the R versus Should problem. Change is hard, but resisting change is wrong. So I'm not sure. Maybe I'll call this episode change. I'm not sure yet. But it's the R versus Should problem, and it's all about change, how we look at change, and why... It's creating so many problems. Our resistance to change is creating so many problems. So last week I talked about uh, our jobs and careers and how we were born into a system. And, and I hate to sound so cons- conspiratorial or like this is some big conspiracy because it's not really. I think it's just really straightforward. Um, at least the American government, I think in many ways, wants us to be good citizens. And good citizens are easy to control. Uh, because humans are nuts, and we can do all kinds of crazy things, and there could be anarchy in the streets. And so one of the ways we do this is we regulate people's behavior uh, by laws and rules and, and, and all of those things that I've talked about in other R versus should episodes. And, and those essentially make up a bulk of the shoulds. Some of those are critical, the golden rule, don't kill each other. Those are really important shoulds that are necessarily part of the system, and there are some of those. But then we pile on all this other stuff. Yeah, I know we need roads and we need sewers and we need clean water. And so we tax those things and taxes are based on working. And so, the, you know, the system, if you, if you think about government as an organism, well, it wants to perpetuate itself just like anything else. And it doesn't have DNA to do it. What it has is a whole bunch of bodies to generate money so that it can do the things that it needs to do. And, and on paper, capitalism, uh, democracy, whatever you want to call that, a lot of different words. It's a pretty good system, but it's wrought with abuse. You know, the same abuse that the system runners, <laughs> the, the politicians, whatever, um, not trying to sound conspiracy, but the, the, the things that they're afraid we're going to do have independent thought, you know, have creative ideas, not uh, behave in a predictable way. Well, that goes, you know, those are all elements of being human that the regulators, the people working in government, they're equally as guilty of. And so what we see is is is, is systematic uh, corruption, right? I mean, does it does it you know say the the ta- say uh, Biden's new infrastructure plan is a trillion dollars? Well, how much of that trillion dollars goes to to, to to things that aren't on the list, right? It's just an inefficient process. The point being, we we could use a little bit of change. We know what's wrong, and we we just we it, we can't change it because the system itself is designed to resist change because change is harder to control than the opposite of change, which I guess is sort of like status quo, unchanging, predictable, right? Change is less predictable than what we have, than, than not changing. Okay, I, don't, I really don't think that's conspiratorial. I think that's just inherent in trying to, um, to form a government. And my point is that there's nothing necessarily wrong with the system, well, there are a lot of little things wrong with the system, but more than anything, what's wrong is there's not very good mechanisms for change. You know, I just I just read this article briefly about voting districts and how when one political party makes all the voting districts, they make it impossible for the other political party to win. So, in short, by changing the voting districts, by drawing different lines on the map and saying these people vote here, these people vote here, they can pretty much uh, control the outcome of the election. So part of 
an effective government or any any kind of control system or any laws or regulatory mechanism is a system of change. In other episodes, I've referred to this as adaptive management. You know, you you have to have a way to both provide checks and balances and then provide adaptive management or ways to sort of in real time make sure you're obeying the rules that you've set up for yourself and also over longer periods of time to sort of reassess what you've accomplished in the last six months or whatever and say, are we on the right track or should we change something? But what we have today, an inherent huge causal factor in the R versus should problem is our resistance to change. Go back a couple episodes to the uh, the bully in your DNA, the DNA part, the R part. We are our DNA. We are meant to express that as fully as possible in our lifetime and make whatever contributions to the population, the earth, that we can in that time. Inherent in that whole system is change. DNA evolved, was designed, spontaneously appeared to deal with the inherent change in the universe. The Big Bang happened, there was one particle. Through time, there's now trillions of trillions of particles. Change is happening. Those particles are changing form. Change is happening. Energy is changing form. Change is happening. If there's one thing you can count on, if there's one dominant rule inherent to our system that we call biology, or that this system that we call the universe, it's that it's going to change in ways that are probably not predictable. I'm sure there are lots of physics tenants that, that deal with this, and, and uh, you know, change is a real thing. It's not something we can avoid. It's not, you know, it's kind of like people talk about as people age, we do all this um, um, plastic surgery and stuff to, to fight the aging process, right? We're just in denial that change is a thing. And that is, you know, in this context of, you know, in the context of getting a boob job or getting Botox, maybe it's not that big of a deal. But in the context of the R versus should problem, resistance to change is probably, if not the most fundamental problem, one of the top fundamental problems. We can't resist change. We need to actually embrace it. But there's a conflict here. And the conflict is in order for the subsystem, let's say, the, the regulation of people's behavior to make us all get along and have a safer planet. I mean, I think that's the goal. I'm not sure if it's being achieved, but maybe that's the goal. That that uh, sub-problem, subsystem within the bigger system of our DNA in the universe, you know, they're, they're in conflict. And that, in as much as us as individuals have an R versus should problem, I am this way, but I feel like I should be this way. You know, the world is this way, change. But it feels like it's supposed to be this way, not change. It's, it's, it's really just the R versus should problem at a hugely bigger uh, scale, right? And so why do we resist change? One explanation I've offered is that it just makes people easier to control. And I think you look all the way back, you know, government, religion, politics, all these things are designed to make people easier to control and regulate. Again, some of those shoulds are appropriating good. We don't want to kill each other. We want to be nice to each other. We want everybody to get along. We want everybody to be healthy. We want everybody to be safe. Those are all good reasons to do that. Except when you, when you, when you get so far down the road into anything, you forgot the purpose of doing it in the first place. And so what we have now is just this system that cha- resists change for the sake of resisting change, and it perpetuates out into so many other things. Um, 
And and what we hear is uh, things like, um, well, that's just how it is. It's just tradition. It's always been done that way. It's too hard to change. Change is bad. You know, we, we have all these little things that are operating just in the back of our minds in common everyday conversation that serve this bigger need to not change anything. One of my favorite examples, because of my background in ecology and sort of work with natural resources, is the idea that the that coal, and this is something that Trump touted when he ran for president the first time, we're going to bring back coal. And from a biological standpoint, from a geological standpoint, there's no more coal to be had. You know, the industry can't perpetuate itself anymore because easy-to-get-to coal and thus profitable coal is gone, at least in the United States. And so that industry, as a, as a, art, as a result, it is no longer. But yet there's this movement to say, well, that would be change. We can't change from being dependent on coal to being dependent on something else, like natural gas or solar. We just can't do that. And the reasons are like, well, what about all the workers? And what about all the companies? And all the, all the stoves are set up to burn coal. We've got to change everything. We can't change all that stuff. It just can't happen. No. Well, that, you know, that's the... I'm so sick of that. <laughs> because 200 years prior to that, we didn't have any of those things. So what do you mean we can't change it? What do you mean we can't change things? We used to, you know... Uh, Talk on, you know, think about a telephone and how much that's evolved. Think about our television and how much is that, that has evolved. We can change all of these things. Think about the way food is made. You know, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You can't simultaneously, you know, you can't text me on your iPhone that we can't change, you know, the, 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 the natural resources that we use for energy. Any, anyway, and, and, you know, even within the coal issue, a friend of mine um, one time we were talking in generally about the resistance to change and he said, buggy whips. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, think about it before cars, before the, uh, internal combustion engine, all the, all the transportation mechanisms were horse driven. And so you had to have a buggy whip because that's what you, you know, communicated to the horse with to tell it to stop or start or whatever. But when cars came along, the people who made buggy whips went out of business. What were we supposed to do? Like, subsidize the buggy whip industry forever because they had made a contribution. And, and okay, that's all very sad. I feel bad for coal miners that, you know, whose tradition, traditional livelihoods are based on this industry. And I feel bad for the buggy whip making people because now they didn't have a job and had to pivot and do something else. But, but change is inherent. If you don't realize that going into it, don't build the coal plant. Don't, Put all your eggs in the buggy whip basket, you know? So have a backup plan. There's there we all should be we all should have contingency plans for varying levels of change because it's natural. And again, it's natural, but uh, go back to my episode about the DNA. It's natural because that's the way the system is set up. You know, biology has an awareness that the biological and abiotic environments in which biology exists change. And so all of the machinery designed to live in that environment is built around that motif. Okay. Uh, and another example, so so I guess one thing, example I'll use I want to talk about a little bit is bluegrass music, something that's near and dear to my heart and I spent 20 years sort of living in the middle of and came into as an outsider. And, and the example that I, the point that I want to make is that some tradition is good. We don't just want to like throw what we've learned away, you know, we need our history. We, we need to understand where we've been. And there's another 
really, history is another mechanism of resisting change because what is history? His story. It's some guy's take on what happened that he would going to write down and say, well, this is the story we're going to tell about what happened because I think this is what people need to know. No, no, no. <laughs> well, then history is notoriously inaccurate and probably downplays, you know, if you believe all this other stuff, the, the change part and uh, uh, somehow supports the idea that we shouldn't change. I don't know. But the point is, our history is important. Traditions are important. Some things should stay the same. We don't want to change the golden rule. We don't want to change things we've learned, like we don't want to, whatever we learned from World War I, World War II, we don't want to change that and erase it and go, ah, that's dumb. Let's, no, we should fight more. And so traditions are important and perpetuating the good stuff. And, and what's the word? What's the word? Um, conserving the good things that we have learned as a people on this planet is critical. So I'm not, we don't want to change some things. And like, so that's what's cool about bluegrass music. Bluegrass is very, very, very distinct, and many people will define it according to a, 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 you know, a, a certain period of time in the year 1946 when a certain group of people got together and played a certain type of instruments in a certain way, and they said that's bluegrass. As things evolved you know, over the next 70 years, bluegrass changed a lot. And there, you know, when I came into bluegrass, there was two contingencies, sort of the contemporary people that said, well, bluegrass is what bluegrass is today. And then the traditionalists. And you'll find this in a lot of older hobbies or um, art forms or job, uh, the way you do things. And I'll get to medicine in a minute. So, But some people have maintained diligently that sound and that, that, that magic of that first band and they and they sort of recreate it right through time and 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 without any sort of this is the way it has to be and everybody else sucks kind of attitude, but just to say we want to showcase this and remember it and it's important. And other people, you know, have have taken it in new directions and totally changed it to where you get these two crowds that say bluegrass has to be it's got to have a banjo and a mandolin and a fiddle and a bass and a guitar and it can't have a resonator guitar and it can't have this kind of singing that it is not bluegrass. Okay, well. I get what you're saying. And the point is that it needs to be, it's important that young people know that stuff and so that it, some memory and history of it uh, is conserved through time. Now, having said that, it's got to evolve. Bluegrass was almost dead when I got into it. I remember being one of the few people under 60 years old at any of these concerts that I would go to. And then gradually, as people bent the rules about the music a little bit and, and sort of allowed some new things in, it's gotten to the point now where it's got a huge following in the 20-something, you know, and now it's healthier and the artists are actually making, you know, now artists are making uh, in a gig what they made over a whole year, which is just, which is amazing. Okay, now the medical example, um, you know, the, the idea that during your residency or whatever part of med school it is, you don't sleep and you work like 105 hours straight. That's still a thing, right? Why would you do that? But it's still a critical traditional element. Now, there's something that's like, did nobody like ask whether this was any good anymore? Did nobody question the value of that tradition? Maybe that tradition needs to be changed, because what happens is you do that uh, in school, and then it's assumed that you're just going to do that for your career. And what we have is a bunch of surgeons and anesthesiologists and doctors doing really, really fine stuff that haven't had any sleep in 18 hours or 24 hours or 72 hours that are getting ready to work on you. Why would you do that? <laughs> I 
that? That is stupid. And the reason I get when I ask why that hasn't been out, well, it's traditional. It's the way everybody else did it. All the 70-year-old you know, people that haven't retired are like, I did it, gosh darn it, and so everybody else has got to do it too. That's that. That's just, that's, that's absurd. And so that's the kind of decision that we end up making because we adhere to some rule that we can't change. Well, not only am I going to give you permission to say that we can change, I'm, I've got an ex, a biological imperative that is a critical part of life. DNA, evolution. I mean, what is more inherent to life than that? And that in itself is change. And so that should trickle up to all levels of organization. I mean, if you get, if you buy into the basic assumption in the R versus should problem that our DNA is designed or evolved for us to change in our changing environments and that we need to realize fully that the potential in that DNA before we die so that we make our contribution to help us move through the future in the, in the most efficient and best, if you will, way. You know, DNA is, is the driving mechanism of that. Change is the driving um, characteristic in DNA. And so how can you possibly be a people that resists that? And I get it. I get the reasons. Okay. It's the, you know, <laughs> DNA is the one surety. It's the most inherent thing in life. And change is the fundamental organizational tenet of our DNA. So if you buy into the DNA issue of the R versus should problem, which, which I, it's a fundamental tenet, and maybe it's not your thing, and for that reason, you're out, <laughs> as they would say on a Shark Tank. <laughs> but... I, you know, to me, as the, the background I have in evolutionary biology and ecology, change has to be part of the system. It has to be embraced. And things that resist change should be looked at with some doubt and some questioning. And so for, if for no other reason, any system that encourages us to, be, to conform very strictly and to be as as alike as possible, should raise some red flags. And I think what we have today is an increasing uh, movement by, you know, societally that change is bad and that being different is bad. And let's bring it back to that. You know, in many ways, we look at things that are different. And I've talked about this in many episodes, and I'll, and I'll list them in the show notes is bad. Different races, different genders, different sexual preferences, different religions. We look at each other, and I mentioned the idea of lumpers or splitters. We look at each other and immediately want to split rather than lump. We are in in an effort or following the prescription of resisting change it's making it more and more difficult to see our similarities. I mean, as absurd as that sounds, because one resisting change is unnatural. And so trying to conform is unnatural. And so in the process of trying to conform, we're not very good at it. And what we end up doing, instead of saying, hey, you're a human, we're the same. We go, oh, you um, are, your skin is slightly darker than mine and your hair is different. And so we're different. Even though we both may have two daughters, 
We both may be into rock music. We both may like to ride bicycles. All that stuff goes out the window. What we see first is our differences. And this is because we're trying to assess whether or not, you know, the, these people are, because that's how conformity works. There's no, there's less and less room for variation. There's less and less room for diversity. There's less and less room for evolution. If that's the path we're on, if you buy into DNA being an important mechanism that regulates biological success, if that's the path we're on, we have no hope. And the problems that we see today, racism, misogyny, you know, religious intolerance, all, all of the things, climate change, hunger, disease, people not having drinking water, people not being comfortable enough to even ponder the R versus should problem, maybe half the people on this earth, people born into a system that can never possibly meet their basic biological needs. These are problems. These are problems that we can solve because look at all the other crazy stuff we've solved and that we are equipped to, to deal with and that violate what I argue is one of the central tendencies of life, and that is to realize your purpose. And what I mean by that is to fully ex- to have the opportunity to fully express your DNA the way you see fit, to live in your R and minimize the should. Fully develop yourself and make a contribution into the world that you were meant to do. Fully realize your potential. On the one hand, that sounds like a bunch of woo-woo Tony Robbins, and that's fine, but that's not how I mean it. You know, I'm, you know it's almost like saying, uh, well, one of the fundamental purposes of life is to perpetuate your DNA, which is weird because I don't necessarily think that everybody should have kids, but I think DNA definitely wants you to be immortal, and so you need to pass your DNA on to the next generation. But you can also make contributions to the next generation in other ways. And, and the biggest one, which I'm, I'm starting to think may supersede the reproduction goal, is to fully realize who you are and make a contribution to the world so that that contribution can affect other people. And then da-da-da, and it, and it, and it, it fractals from there. Another fundamental element of nature. That's how you get what we call uh, punctuated equilibrium. That's how you get massive change really fast. We look back and we go, man, you know, things are really gradual for a long time through evolution. Not a whole lot of change in the evolutionary record. And then boom, 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 there's these, you know, fire, tools, um, iron, um, bronze, you know, these ages, art, um, Technology, you know, why do those things happen so fast? It's because we 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 more people realize their potential and put that out into the world. In fact, you could say that the industrial revolution was because a lot of people got in their R's. Now, the way that they did it might not be the best way because a lot of these men got in their R's by not you know ignoring all of their familial responsibilities and their kids and their wives and just worked eighty hours a week or whatever and developed these ideas. But we can do it a different way. But that kind of what we would call ingenuity or creativity or intelligence, that's in all of us and our all, all in our different ways. I fully believe that. And I think that's where I'm going with the R versus should problem. And I'm glad I got to talk a little bit about change. Change is hard. 
but resisting change is wrong. And so we've got to make peace with this idea of change at, at every possible level. This has been episode 61, Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, The R versus Should Problem. Change is hard, but resisting change is wrong. I can't wait to talk to you guys next week. I appreciate your time. Take it easy.